0: Glad to see y'all here today. I hope you've had a good week. We've had a good week, and I want to talk to you about something that I've titled, More Than Conquerors. In the book of Judges, chapter 6, we find a story of a guy named Gideon. The story happens in a context where the nation of Israel has been under siege, so to speak. They've been persecuted by this enemy nation called the Midianites. And the Midianites, they were just like the bullies on the block. They just kept picking on Israel and kept picking on Israel. And every time Israel would plant their crops about harvest time, they'd come in and burn all the crops. Or they'd do things like just constantly giving them grief and trouble... Of course, Israel had turned away from God, serving God, so God was allowing the Midianites to do this to them. And after a long period of time, Israel finally said, you know what? We need to turn back to the Lord. We need to put our focus back on God and serve Him. So they began to do that, and they cried out to God, and God heard their pleas. He heard their cries. And He kept guy named Gideon. Now Gideon, Gideon was a coward. That's what Gideon was when this story starts. Gideon was hiding behind something, trying to take take in all of his harvest. And I mean he was a coward. He was not a bold and brave man. And God came to Gideon. He said, Gideon, I want you to go lead the children of Israel in this battle. And he goes, <laughs> Lord, I, you know, I can't do this. You know, I'm the least important guy in my family, and my family's the least important family in our tribe, and our tribe's the least important tribe in Israel. And I mean, I'm nobody. You know, interestingly, that's a pretty common thing that men and women of God said to God when he told them to go do stuff. Oh, Lord, who am I to do this? Gideon questions God, challenges him a little bit to prove to him that this is really what God wants him to do. And you if you're familiar with the story, you know the story about the fleece and let it be wet and the ground dry one day and the next day let the ground be wet and the fleece be dry and all. Finally, God convinces him. And so he says, okay, we're going to go fight. We're going to go fight this battle and I need soldiers. And he sends out a message and he said, we got to go fight our enemies. And 32,000 soldiers came. That's a pretty good crew, isn't it? 32,000 soldiers. Now the enemy they're fighting, though, is not just 32,000. The Bible says that when you looked out at them, it said it looked just like the sand of the seashore or grasshoppers. Have you ever seen just thousands of grasshoppers? When we go up to Carrie's parents' house, they live out in the country in Oklahoma, and you walk, and I mean grasshoppers just by the thousands. You know what that looks like? Said so that's the way the enemy was. Gideon gets together with God and he says, "Okay, what are we gonna do? What's our plan?" And God says, "Well, first off, you've got too many soldiers. Too many soldiers. Yeah, you got too many soldiers. You need to send everyone that's scared home." So Gideon calls all the soldiers. And he says, "Hey, listen. If you're afraid, you got a family, you don't want to die and leave. You can go home." So they did. He was left with 10,000. Okay, now we got the lean, mean fighting machine. We're ready to go. Got the good, brave soldiers. Let's go take the battle to them, Lord. He said, you still got too many soldiers. Still? He said, yeah, 10,000's too many. I want you to take them down to the stream and have them get a drink. And everyone that gets down on their hands and knees and puts their face in the water, you send them home. But the guys who get down on one knee and scoop water and drink it out of their hand, you keep those guys. Now, I remember hearing that story as a kid when I was young. And so when I would run around, every time my friend and my cousin and I, Sean, we ran around the country a lot together, we'd stop and drink out of a stream or something. I always did that just in case God was watching. <laughs> God left him with 300 soldiers. That's it. Gideon says, okay, Lord, what are we going to do? Let's go. He goes, well, the next thing is you're not taking any weapons. We got 300 guys and no weapons, and we're going to go fight a war against an army of thousands? Are you kidding me? That's like saying, okay guys, all of us, this church right here, this congregation, we're going to meet and tomorrow we're going to go fight Dallas. (laughs) All of us. I mean, that's crazy. No one would ever do that. What did we take? Well, he told him, here's what you take. You take a torch because you're going to go at night. You take a pitcher which was like we'd say a water pitcher to put over that torch to hide the light from a distance. And you take a trumpet. You take a horn. And when you blow that horn, you blow that trumpet and you do what I say to do. So what they do is they go and they gather around the area where they're camped and they break into three groups. There's a hundred, a hundred, and a hundred. And they get around this valley where these guys are camped. And they take their, their torches and on his signal, they all smash that, that pot and hold up the torch. And they all do that. And then they blow the horns and they shout, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon! Now, it's the middle of the night. Has anybody ever woke you up in the middle of the night? and you're confused, and you don't know what it's, you're frightened. These guys are all asleep, and it's the middle of the night, and all of a sudden, they hear shouting, and it's echoing down in the valley, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, and they see fire, and they hear horns, and they wake up, and they grab their swords, and they just start slashing. And they totally destroy themselves. And it's all over with. And they won this great victory I would call them more than conquerors in that case wouldn't you I mean that's a story for the ages (laughs) that's just a great great story of God and you know we understand he wanted them to take 300 and no weapons so after the battle they weren't walking around going look at us you know we're pretty tough no they knew the battle came from God They knew the victory came from God. And because they stood in the victory of God that God gave them, they were more than conquerors. Now, the reason I wanted to introduce our sermon with this story is because in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul tells us this. He says... Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then he goes ahead and he talks about all of these things that we're to wear, the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation, and talks about us as though we're soldiers in a battle, in an army, in a fight. And we're soldiers of God. Fighting a spiritual battle in the time. Notice he says, Be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Are you strong? Are you able? Do you feel like you're strong? You feel like you're able? That's not what this verse says. This doesn't say you be strong and you be able. This verse says you be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to. You see, just like Gideon, we stand in the Lord. We fight in the Lord. You look around and you go, well, you know, we got 60 odd people here today. This isn't much of an army, is it? I mean, we can't even keep our singing up with Danny, right? I mean, what, are we, what are we doing in this battle, in this war that we're fighting? Doesn't seem that powerful, does it? But the truth is, there's a power. And I want you to know it's a good thing that we have a power behind us because we fight a formidable enemy. We fight, as he says against not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places do you fight those things you know our battle is not against china our battle is not against russia our battle is not against some political opponent Our battle's not even against thugs and hoodlums. Our battle is against Satan himself. The devil. I want you to know he's powerful. But when we stand to fight a battle like that, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you were faced against someone that you thought really had the best of you maybe in a physical fight, or maybe in an argument, a confrontation of some kind, and you felt like they had the best of you. That's a scary spot to be in. But I want you to know, when you face the devil in your life, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid because you are in the army of the living God. You're not just you. But you're a child of God. You're a soldier in the army of God in this battle. And you know what your marching order is from God? He gave you military orders. You know what that is? Romans chapter 12. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What he says here is you can't have peace talks with the devil. You know, a lot of us would like that, wouldn't we? Just have a truce with the devil. Hey, you leave me alone. I'll leave you alone. We'll all we'll all just get along. We won't have any trouble between us. I, by nature, am a peacemaker. I like there to be peace. You can't have peace with the devil. He's your enemy. I can recall back during what we call the cold war between the United States and Russia and I, there was a Russian diplomat and an American on, on TV and they were they were having this discussion and the Russian said to the American he said don't you want to have peace and the American said no I want to defeat you I thought whoa that's, that may not end well you know what though When you're fighting the devil, that's your only choice. That's the way the battle is fought. You see, we serve a God who has tremendous power, and he talks about this battle all through Scripture. It's a battle you're familiar with. Now, I want to look specifically at a piece of this battle that's talked about in the book of Revelation. Somebody says, oh, it's a revelation today, huh? Yeah, we're going to look at it. You know, when you read books about Revelation or you hear people talk about Revelation, most of them, not all, but most of them will tell you the key to the book of Revelation is Revelation 20, the first three or four verses there. And so that's what we're going to look at because it talks about this battle. Read it with me. I can recall when I was in college, there was one of the religious student organizations that had a movie night and invited all the kids from the campus. And we went, and I remember the movie well. It was called The Sound of a Distant Thunder. And it was about... Based off of this, it was about there was going to be this rapture, and people all just disappeared, and nobody knew what happened, and planes were crashing, and cars were crashing, and then there were these seven years where they were executing anyone who claimed to try to follow God. And and I tell you, it was scary. It was a scary movie. And the campus was a buzz. I mean, people were talking about it. And I was kind of known around campus as a Bible guy, so a lot of people ask me about it. What do you think about that movie? And I can remember one kid coming and saying, hey, you know what I heard? Of course, this was before you could look it up on uh, Google and stuff like that, but he said, I heard they found a whole shipload of guillotines in New York City Harbor, and nobody knows where they came from, which in the movie was how they were killing Christians with guillotines. It was a spooky movie. What about this passage? What's he talking about here? What does he teach? Well, when you go to understand the book of Revelation, we're going to real quickly give you a couple of thoughts about it. Number one, when you go to the book of Revelation, you start in the first. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show to his servants things which must shortly come to pass. He sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Now, there's several things we can get out of this. Number one, it's a revelation. You know what re- revelation means to reveal, right? It's not a concealing. A lot of people act as though the point of the book Revelation is to hide something. It's not. It's a revealing, a revelation, not a concealing. God wants us to understand this. Number two, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now that could mean two things. It can mean it's from Jesus or it can mean it's about Jesus, right? I think it means both. It's not the revelation of the nation of Israel. It's not the revelation of the Catholic Church. It's not the revelation of world history. It's not the revelation of the Roman Empire. It's not the revelation of the destruction of Jerusalem. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's central in this book just like He is in every other part of your Bible. It's about Jesus Christ. Number three, it's apocalyptic literature. It's symbolic. Everyone believes that. Now I know some people tell you, no, we take it literal. No, you don't. Nobody believes the dragon with ten heads. Uh, Nobody believes that's really a dragon with all these heads. It always represents something, and we know that. A lot of times in the Bible, in the book of Revelation specifically, he'll mention something, And then he'll tell what that represents like there in Revelation 20. He said he bound the serpent which is, you remember, the devil. That's right. It's not a snake. It's the devil. But you see, that represents, now what that means is when you read the book of Revelation and you read about a bottomless pit, you may not know what that is, but you know what it's not it's not a bottomless pit because there's no such thing as a bottomless pit. A pit's just a hole that has a bottom to it. There's no such thing. There's a chain that binds Satan. Satan's a spiritual being. You ever seen a chain you could bind up a spiritual being with? You can't. That's a symbol. It represents something else. So when you read Revelation, you read about 144,000 in heaven. You may not know what it is, but you know it's not 144,000. That represents something else. That'll help you understand Revelation. Fourthly, the book of Revelation is about a great battle, and God wins. Bottom line. Every book you'll ever read about Revelation, this is the final conclusion. You can read through Anyone can read through it and go, wow, this is just, this stuff, this imagery is just more bizarre than Harry Potter. I mean, it's wild, the stuff that happens. But at the end, you know, Satan loses and God wins. No matter how it looks between now and then, Satan loses and God wins. Now, in understanding that, let's go back to our passage. Then I saw an angel... Now, I don't know who drew this picture. I just found it on the internet, but it was an ominous kind of picture. There was an angel that came from heaven. Who was that angel? You know, if I knew who this angel was, that would help me understand this passage a lot, wouldn't I? If I could understand this angel. Well, what does this tell us about this angel? He says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit. This angel comes down from heaven. He's got his own keys. He's got a set of keys. Now, if you go to, say, Revelation 9 where it talks about the angel there, it says, unto this angel was given the keys to this or that. But this angel in this verse is different. This guy's got his own keys. What angel would have the keys to the bottomless pit. Well, you know, if you read through the book of Revelation, by the way, one other thing I should have put on that slide that you can know about Revelation, it's last in the Bible on purpose. You're going to understand Revelation after you understand the rest of the Bible. And you need to study and understand and know the rest of the Bible to understand Revelation. But even the book of Revelation explains itself. Look in chapter 1. And read this with me. Jesus says in Revelation 1 I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Who's got the keys of Hades and death? Who's got his own keys? Well, it's Jesus Christ. That's the one who has the keys. And this angel, you know what he does in this passage? This angel lays hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, which is the devil and he binds the serpent. So he's got keys to this bottomless pit, and he binds this serpent, which is the devil, with this chain that he brought, and he throws him down into this pit for a thousand years. This angel's pretty powerful. This angel has his own keys, and this angel binds the devil. Now, do any of y'all remember the TV show Sanford and Son? Okay, the laughs tell me who the, younger people may not remember that this is Sanford and son right here That's Sanford and that's his son Lamont and Lamont Sanford has now become a preacher and you can find him on TV If you watch the TV shows that have the preachers all the time Lamont Sanford the preacher and I saw him preaching And Lamont Sanford, the preacher, held up his Bible and he quoted the verse about binding Satan and he said, In the name of Jesus, I bind you, devil. I thought, hey, I should have thought of that years ago. We'd have so much less trouble. Can Lamont Sanford bind the devil? No. He didn't have the power to bind the devil. In fact, if you look in the book of Jude, you find a story where Michael the archangel is contending with the devil. Even the archangel, the top angel, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Even the archangel doesn't have the power to bind the devil. The devil is powerful. You doubt that? Do you believe that? The devil's powerful. Behind God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he's the most powerful being in the universe. It's going to take something more than even the archangel to bind the devil. But you know what? For you and I, the benefit that we have in this battle is we know, one, we know how it ends, and number two, we know this. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You know who is in you as a Christian? Galatians 2.20. I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I died, yet I live. Or nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. You know who's in me? Christ. And you know who he's better than? You know who he's more powerful? You know who he's greater than? He's greater than the devil. He can handle the devil. He can defeat the devil. He can bind the devil. There's no question that that's true. The Scriptures tell us in Isaiah, when Isaiah was talking about... He asked this question, shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of the righteous be delivered? He says, who's going to free the captives? And the captives are those of us who were caught in sin. We're slaves to sin. And Isaiah's question is, can they be delivered? And Jesus answers that prophetic question some 1,500 years later when he says this, How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first bind the strong man? Now, Jesus said that when he was casting out demons and doing miracles. And the Pharisee said, You're doing that by the power of Satan. And he said, That's ridiculous. Satan can't cast himself out. That doesn't make any sense. A house divided against itself can't stand. I'm not casting out Satan by the power of Satan. He said, you know what I'm doing? Isaiah, I'm binding the strong man. I'm binding him. And then the next verse he goes on, he says, then I'll spoil his house. Satan was being bound by Jesus Christ. While Jesus Christ was here on this earth you know what Jesus said right before his crucifixion talking about Satan Jesus said this the prince of this world and you know who that is right that's the devil the prince of this world is judged not someday he's going to be judged down at the end of time no he's judged you see It's pretty obvious if you read the rest of the New Testament, even back into the prophecies and all, that this angel who came to bind Satan came down from heaven. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the angel who binds Satan. In fact... If you'll read this, it says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's the reason Jesus Christ came into this earth. He came to destroy the works of the devil. So what did he do? He bound the devil. So... Or I say, he bound the devil. That's why he came. Jesus said he was binding him. The question I would have next is, okay, when does this happen? When is God, Jesus, going to finally bind the devil? And I'll tell you that Scripture is very plain that the devil was defeated at the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. The devil's been beat. He's not... You know, Hal Lindsey wrote a book devil or Satan is alive and well on planet earth I don't know if some of y'all remember that that's not true Satan is crippled and dying on planet earth he's been defeated by Jesus Christ look at this through death he might destroy him who had the power of death that is the devil this talks about Jesus and said when Jesus came through death he destroyed the one that had the power of death Well, when was Jesus' death? What was His crucifixion? Well, who was it that had the power over death? Well, that was Satan. At His crucifixion, He destroyed Satan. You know, the irony is really strong here. That Satan had Jesus killed, and in having Jesus killed, he destroyed himself who had the power of death. And he lost that power. Because Jesus Christ, if he, it says, well, somebody says, doesn't that say destroyed? That word destroyed actually means it doesn't work anymore. The parts are still there. It just, it's broken. It doesn't work. Not that he ceased to exist. Just that he doesn't have the power to do what he was doing before. Look at this. It says in Colossians 2, still on the same topic, it says he nailed it to his cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. Remember, that's what we're fighting. He made a public spectacle of them, trying of, triumphing over them in it. In what? In his cross. He triumphed over principalities and powers, the very thing we're fighting. They were defeated at the cross of Jesus Christ. And then in Ephesians, Paul says this. He says, when He ascended on high, He led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Let me ask you a question. Honestly, have you been a captive to sin in your life? Have you? Yeah, I mean, if you're honest... You've been a captive to sin. Are you free from sin? Can you be free from sin? When Jesus ascended on high, you know what He did? He led captive, captivity itself. We have freedom in Jesus Christ. We don't have to be captive to sin anymore. We can have great victory. Somebody says, well, okay. We have great victory in Jesus. Jesus de- defeated the devil at the cross. I believe that. But why do we still have so much trouble with this? Why are we still having all these issues? Go back to book of Revelation 20. It says, He bound him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. And he bound him for a thousand years that he should deceive the nations no more. You see, the power that the devil lost when Jesus bound him wasn't the power to exist. It wasn't the power to roam about. It wasn't the power to tempt people. But it was the wholesale power to deceive the nations. Do you remember when Jesus Christ was being tempted by the devil? Do you all remember that? Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was being tempted, and the devil tempted him with turn the rocks into bread and then cast yourself off the temple. And then the last thing he did, remember he took him to a high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the earth, all the kingdoms. And you remember what he told Jesus? He said this, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. He said, Jesus, get on your knees and I'll give you all of this. What was Jesus' answer? Did He say, ah, you silly devil, that's not yours to give? No. It did belong to the devil. It all belonged to the devil. The only people that didn't belong to the devil were Israel, and most of the time, they Him too. The whole world belonged to the devil at this point. And Jesus says, even though the whole world belongs to you, you have the power now, I'm only going to serve God because that's who we're to serve. And look at what Jesus said when He was resurrected. Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You see, up to this point, you wanted to serve God. You had to be an Israelite. You had to be a part of the nation of Israel. They were his chosen people. But after his resurrection, after he defeated Satan, he died, was buried, and raised again. He's going to ascend on high and lead captivity captive here in just a couple of minutes. He says this, I've got all authority on heaven and earth now. And I didn't get it by bowing to the devil. I've got all authority in heaven and earth. Now you go and you take the good news. What good news? That he has all authority now. That the captivity has been taken captive, that you can be released from the bondage. There's a new king, and his kingdom reigns, and you go tell the whole world, because the Satan Satan lost his power at that time to deceive the nations. Somebody says, "Well, if that's true, what about this verse?" Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking to devour. Resist him. and steadfast in the faith. This verse says you better be careful because the devil is walking around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You better be careful. Have you all ever seen a lion? Say, well, I've seen him on TV. Have you ever seen him? I'm not talking Lion King here now. I'm talking a real lion. Well, I saw one at the zoo one time. Okay. Have you ever been outside and seeing a lion walking down the street? <laughs> That'd be pretty scary, wouldn't it? You know, we don't have lions here in the United States just roaming around. I mean, one might escape from a zoo every once in a while, but they catch them pretty quick. We don't have lions out in the streets. They did have lions there. They were familiar with lions. Where this was written in Arabia, there are lions. You know, they knew things about lions we don't know. One of the things in researching and studying this I learned about lions, do you know why a lion roars? No lion ever killed anybody roaring. You don't kill people by roaring. The lion that roars is the old lion with bad teeth and broken claws. And he gets around and he roars and it scares the prey and the prey runs to the young lion that's silent on the other side to kill them. You see, Satan, he will roar at a Christian, but he's just a clown lion. He's just a pretend lion. He's not a real lion. He walks about, and listen, I'm not saying he isn't dangerous, but really he's dangerous more like a mean dog on a chain. You ever been around a mean dog on a chain? You know, if you stay out of the distance of that chain, it doesn't matter how bad that dog is, nothing he can do to you. Now if you get over there and mess with him, he's going to eat you up. But if you stay away from him, nothing he can do. That's why, notice what he says to do to fight that lion. He says resist him. It's another way we know he's not a real lion. Have you ever seen or thought about a lion attacking you and you're going, no, (laughs) that's not the way you fight a lion unless it's fake lion. You know, there's only one real lion in Scripture, and that's the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ. He's the real lion. Now, yes, you need to be careful about the devil. He will destroy you if you mess with him. But you don't have to walk around scared of him. You don't have to walk around like he's going to get you. He will get you if you mess with him. The greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. That's why the Scriptures tell us resist the devil and he will... Can you finish it? He will flee from you. He'll run. Why? He has to. Not because you're so powerful, but because Jesus Christ is in you. And so what that means is when you are out in this world, no matter what you're facing, no matter what challenges, whether it's health challenges or temptation challenges or whatever it is, Jesus Christ is in you. And you'll survive. Not only will you survive, you'll be more than a conqueror. I'm not saying you won't lose your job. I'm not saying you won't get sick. The Bible doesn't promise that. What it does promise is that the devil will be defeated. And if the devil's defeated, you know all this other stuff. This is just the details. Just work out the details. You know, going back to Ephesians 6 where we were talking, where we started here and he told us we're in an army. He says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore. Notice the word stand is in this over and over and over and over. He's talking about a wrestling match and he's saying you need to stand. Have you ever watched wrestling? I'm not talking WWE stuff here. I'm talking about real wrestling, like collegiate wrestling. Have you ever watched that? The only time they stand. When's the only time they stand? When the match is over. Just like that. They stand when the fight's done. And he's saying this, you stand, now you need to wear your armor. You need to go out and fight those guys, but you stand because they're defeated. Jesus Christ has defeated the enemy that we face. This story is all through the Bible. Do you remember David? He went and his brothers were in the military and they were waiting to fight another army. And this army had a big soldier. His name was Goliath. And this guy was huge. I mean, he was like as tall as this ceiling. The guy was enormous. And he was not just huge, but he was a warrior, a champion warrior. David's a 17-year-old red-headed kid. And David comes to battle, and this warrior comes out, and he yells at Israel's army. He says, Send me your best warrior, and we'll fight. And whoever wins wins the battle. Now that sounded like a pretty good idea. I might vote for that in any war. Let's just send two, two guys to fight and say it's over. David thought it was a great idea. He goes, hey guys, listen. And his brothers are all embarrassed because he's, you know, shut up. You know, get in the tent. And everybody's ducking their heads. You know why? Because they were afraid of Goliath. David says, What's wrong with you? That guy's defied the armies of the living God. I'll go fight him. King Saul was there at the time, and King Saul hears about this boy causing a problem, making a ruckus, calls for him, and David comes in, and Saul says, What's the problem? He said, Your soldiers are cowards. There's a guy down there, and he's challenging the armies of God, and your guys won't fight. I'll go fight him. And Saul says, Dude, he's a champion warrior. You're just a kid. David said, Saul, you don't understand. I killed a bear, and I killed a lion. God is with me. That guy's not fighting me. He defied the armies of the living God. We cannot walk away and allow that to happen. He convinced Saul. Saul said, okay, well, you put on my armor if you're going to go fight. Saul, the Bible says he was real tall and David couldn't wear his armor. And I mean, David was a shepherd boy. He didn't know all this. He says, he Saul, says, I, can't, I can't take your sword and your armor and fight. He said, I'm going to use what I know. And he got a slingshot. Now, it wasn't one of that forked stick that you do this with. A slingshot was a pouch. You put a rock in it, and it had two, two long strings. And you swing it. You can get that thing going really fast, and you let go of one of the strings. And if you're good, I mean, it's a weapon. And he went down to the stream, and he got five smooth stones. Now, I don't know why he got five. read somewhere that Goliath had four brothers and he was after all of them. I don't know. But he got five smooth stones. And he went out. And here stands this giant of a man and David's kid comes out. Goliath says, Is this a joke? Are you kidding me? Is this a joke? Just like I would be if a little three-year-old come running at me like they were going to fight me. I wouldn't be afraid of that. Goliath went. and He said come here and I'm going to tear you apart and feed you to the animals. When he said that, David ran at him. This guy's got spunk, doesn't he? He ran at him and Goliath kind of drops his guard just a little bit and David slings that rock and hits him right in the forehead. Boom. Down he went. David went and took Goliath's own sword and cut off his head. And then David grabbed that head and he held it up like that. Now do you remember all those cowards back up on the hill? All the guys who wouldn't fight? You remember them? You know what they did when that happened? Let's go get them boys! <laughs> and boy, they come running down the hill and they fight. They whipped the enemy, I mean chased them back to where they came from. Won this huge, great victory. Why? Because David was that tough? No. That man defied the armies of the living God. Now I want you to know there's no government, there's no person, there's no power on this earth that can defy the armies of the living God and survive. It can't happen. Now, you and I have a choice. We can be cowards and sit up on the hill and do nothing and just try to have peace with the devil. Or we can get out there and fight. And I want you to know, I believe God's called us to get out there and fight. I believe God's called us to go win this war. The enemy captain has already been defeated. And look what he says here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, yet in all these things. He says, who's going to separate us from God's love and his, his power? You know what's written about us? We're killed all the day long and we're sheep for the slaughter. Does that sound like a good battle plan to you? You know what the next sentence says or the rest of this sentence? In all this, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. Because I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to tell you, we've not been given the spirit of fear. If you've been living in fear, stop it. We don't live in fear. We live in courageous confidence in our victorious our older brother who defeated the enemy that we fight quit living in fear live in power don't settle for peace accord but take the fight to the enemy run at him and vanquish him out of your life don't get all caught up in the things going on here in this world And when you see potential things that, oh no, this might happen, and oh no, that might happen, and what are we going to do if this occurs? Don't get caught up in that. You know, there was a little boy and his dad rode a train. First time the little boy had been on a train. And as they were riding the train, they were looking out the window, and, and they were... They had a map. Dad said, look, let's, they were following the route of the, of, of the train on the map. And the little boy starts saying, Danny, Danny, stop the train, stop the train. He said, why? He said, there's a river, there's a river, and we're going to fall in the river. And his dad said, don't worry about it, son. He said, but daddy, daddy. And they could see the river coming. He said, just watch. And they come up to that river and just shoo, right on across it because there was a bridge and they start coming up to another river, and the little boy gets nervous, and Dad says, You think we'll make it? He says, I don't know. And they came and shoo, went right on across it. And his dad pulled out the map a little later and says, Hey, son, we've got a river coming up. The little boy said, It's okay, Dad. Somebody already went before us and built bridges. I want you to know Jesus has been before you. He's fought the fight. He's kept the faith. He won the victory. We're following Him. We cannot lose. Don't live a life of fear. Don't live a life controlled by that. But live a life consumed by confidence in the Savior that we follow. We're soldiers in the army of God. Satan has been defeated, and in Christ, We are more than conquerors. We have a mission. Don't live a life of fear, but stand strong in Christ, resist Satan, and spread the gospel. You know, to me, one of the worst consequences of all this COVID and divisive racial strife in America and fires and hurricanes, all this junk that's going on is it's got us all distracted and we forgot what the mission is. We're all, we think about and talk about all this junk all the time that doesn't matter. We've got a mission to serve the kingdom of God and to spread His message. What are we doing? We're His soldiers. We don't have time to mess around with things here on this earth. We need to set our mind on things above and get in the fight. That's my message to you today. If you've been sitting on the sidelines... If fear has caused you to slow down not do some things you need to do, get rid of it. Stand up and do what's right. Serve the Lord. Honor Him. Because victory is assured for those who are on the side of the Savior. If you need spiritual help, we do offer an invitation song. You can come to the front and ask for help while we stand and sing.